Let us take our Bibles tonight and turn to the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16, speaking on the subject of be ye holy, be ye holy. First Peter chapter 1, and let us uh, stand together as we read, beginning in verse 13. Reading God's holy and precious word. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And let us pray once again. Father, we have been so blessed through the prayers. We feel that we are leaning upon your people tonight. Their prayers have been have been sweet and encouraging. Father, hear the cries of your people and minister to us in the need of our hearts. Make us, as our pastor prayed, a holy people. Give us grace that we may leave this building tonight practicing the truth of your word. We praise you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you attend to the prayers of your people. You have encouraged us so much in your word to be a people of prayer. You you tell us to call unto you. You tell us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let our requests be made known unto God. Father, bless us tonight. Bless your word. Bless your sweet people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What I have to say tonight will offend those who believe in cheap grace. What Peter has set before us in the Word of God, is an offense to typical American Christianity. Many people are leaving churches because they are seeing hypocrisy in the churches and even in the leadership of the churches, and that is in no way a reflection upon this church. Doctrine without holiness of life is repulsive even to lost people. Even lost people don't want to see a Christian who is professing something with his lips and he's not, he or she is not living it with their lives. Well, why am I preaching this message, Be Ye Holy? Well, for one thing, for many months, 
couple years ago, I read First Peter for a whole, about a whole year, and I just read it over and over and over again until First uh, Peter has been etched upon my mind and my heart, and I love First Peter. <clears throat> I was reading a commentary, and it, it's not a very uh, well-known commentary, but it, it was a commentary in which the man was saying, the commentator was saying, that impetuous Peter has written impetuously and that he, he does not have the logical order of Paul in his writing, and I just, I, I became very weary with what I was reading because the Holy Spirit inspired this book, and this book has been accepted by the churches all the way back to the early church, and this is not an impetuous book, and it is logical. It is extremely logical. Even John's writings are logical, even if they start in a, in a circle and, and spiral down to a little tiny circle at the bottom. Not everybody wrote like Paul. In fact, some of the biblical writers write in very unusual ways, in ways that secular writers never write. God's servants are inspired by him. So I'm preaching on 1 Peter because I love 1 Peter. But also we have some young people among us recently saved who need to consider Peter's emphasis on living holy lives in an unholy world. And so I'm preaching, young people, uh, for your benefit, and I love you, and I pray that God will bless and use this in your lives, as I have already prayed. The older Christians among us need constant reminders. I need to be reminded to live a holy life. <clears throat> a brother in the church recently spoke to me about his desire to be more sanctified. And I'm preaching to him. Amen. Amen. And myself. <clears throat> this letter was written to a people called the dispersion, the diaspora, who were dispersed by persecution and who were living in a hostile world. And that fits our present moment in history. And may the Lord bless it and use it as time goes on. <clears throat> our text, I believe is the key text or main point or driving, driving text of this whole letter that Peter wrote. <clears throat> I haven't found that in the commentaries yet. <laughs> and so if you want to disagree with me, I'll let you have your opinion, but um, please indulge me my opinion as well. And I think you'll even see that as we go along that, you know, I think, I think Brother Frank has a point here. You know, a lot of commentators will say that that Peter's main focus and main point is, is to help people in suffering. Okay, well, there is, there is that feature in the book, but <clears throat> Peter is saying something in a very general way that we are to be holy in all manner of conduct, and we are to do that because our God is a holy God. Amen. And as you go through the book of 1 Peter, you find that Peter is constantly exhorting unto holiness of life. It's a major theme throughout the book. And I believe it is the major theme. <clears throat> Verses 13 through 16, which we just read, are one sentence in our version. Just one sentence. <clears throat> 
verse uh, 15b contains the summary, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or also, so could be translated also, also be ye holy in all manner of conduct, in all manner of life, the way you live your life. Well, um, that is a summary of this long sentence of verses 13 through 16. And if we were to give the briefest summary possible, just summarize it for me, Brother Frank, be ye holy. And those three words are what we find Peter saying in this book. God is holy and he desires his people to be a holy people. Here he commands his people to be holy in all manner of conduct. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We we hope that day hastens forward when our pastor reaches that passage soon enough. (laughs) Someday. Someday. Amen. You know, sometimes when I'm preaching up here, I have to hold myself back. And today is one of those days. So God is holy, and he desires his people to be a holy people. And he commands his people to be holy. What does it mean in Scripture to be holy? What does it mean? It means to be set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. To be sanctified is to be set apart. And it is to be set apart in two ways. The first aspect is that we are to be set apart from something. The second part is we are to be set apart unto something. And so we are, as a people, called by God and made holy through Christ to be set apart from the world in which we live. And to be set apart, as Peter will go on to to say some things about later, from our own flesh and from the world. So we're to be set apart from the world. We're to be set apart from ourselves, in a sense, and our our old life. And we are to be set apart from Satan himself, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Believers are to be also set apart unto God. We are to be set apart unto him. We are to be set apart unto his word. We're to be set apart unto his will. We're to be set apart unto his ways. We're to be set apart unto everything that he wants us to be set apart unto. His church and, 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 and even... This that we're speaking on this evening. So we are to be holy because God is holy. He is set apart from all creation. He is set apart from everything that is made. He is set apart from angels who are spirit beings, but who are not clean in his sight. He is set apart from everything. He is absolutely holy. In himself. And he is set apart unto himself. He is set apart unto all that he is and his glory. 
in his glorious triune being. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees a vision of God in his holiness, and I'm mentioning this so that we'll just have a feel for a a sense of what this this means when Peter mentions God's holiness as being the the reason why we also should be holy in all manner of conduct. Isaiah sees a vision of God in his holiness, and the one he sees is high and lifted up upon a throne. He is upon his throne, his glorious holy throne. And so we see that he's majestic in his holiness. One aspect of holiness God is separated from all creation because he's higher than all creation. He is even above the temple in Isaiah 6. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted in holiness. His train or the hem of his robe fills the temple as he's seated upon the throne and high and lifted up. The, The hem of his garment fills the temple. He is immense. In his holiness. The seraphim fly about him, and these seraphim are interesting creatures because seraph, the Hebrew word seraph, means to burn, and seraphim makes it plural, and these are burning creatures. These are burning ones who are flying about the throne. The seraphim fly above and about him, burning creatures. And fire is a symbol of God's holiness. And these burning creatures in the very heated presence of God's holiness are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They could be crying any number of things because our God is is so wondrous. But the one thing they cry is, Holy, holy. Holy, holy. They have eyes without and eyes within, eyes before and eyes behind, and they're seeing, and and they are they are humbling themselves by covering their faces and 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 covering their wings and, and covering their feet. And and they are they are flying about the throne in this humble state, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, the glory of his holiness. So he is holy, holy, holy. He is holy in eternity past. He is holy in the present, and he is holy in eternity future. He is holy Father. He is holy Son. He is holy Spirit. He is holy Holy, holy. So we can say he is emphatically holy because he inspired these angelic creatures to cry out in unison, holy, 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 emphatically. Well, the vision is dramatic with thundering voices and shaking doorposts and smoke filling the temple. And where there's smoke, there's fire. And so it is a vision of the holiness of God and, and we read of it, may the Spirit of God fill us and enable us to see something of this holiness, to, to experience something of what Isaiah experienced. 
by the reading of God's holy word. The prophetic vision causes Isaiah to cry, Woe is me, for I am undone. Or if, if you want to bring it into plain Hebrew, for I am cut off. I am cut off from my people. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord cleansed him, and the Lord commissioned him. But he had this sense of the holiness of God. He, he cannot stand before the holiness of God. He, he cannot be bold and confident before the holiness of God. He sees the holy God. And so Isaiah was given this commission to prepare him, this, this vision to pr prepare him for his commission. We cannot be absolutely holy as God is absolutely holy. And so he says, be ye holy for I am holy, not as I am holy. <clears throat> we cannot be absolutely holy, but he calls us to the pursuit of holiness. God calls us to pursue holiness. He is set apart from all things. We are to be set apart from the world, the flesh, the devil, and all that is evil. And we are to be set apart from unto him, <clears throat> but we are not absolutely holy in our holiness. We are finite in our holiness. We are imperfect in our holiness. Your holiness and my holiness will never be perfect. Holiness in and of ourselves, and what I'm speaking of is our conduct, not our standing in the righteousness of Christ, and in the holiness of Christ, and the holiness of the Holy Spirit, and all of the, the, the wonder of having that, that union and relationship through Christ. But we're speaking of our, our living. We're speaking of the way we express ourselves in this world. It is finite. It is imperfect. But it's true and biblical and spirit-wrought holiness. And God desires that in our lives. God desires that we be a holy people. God wants you, young people, God wants you to be holy. And that's what Peter is talking about. And so he's going to unfold that here before us. This is not a small side issue in the Christian life. We're not just bringing up a, a minor point. We're talking about the Christian life. We're talking about the whole life of a, of a, a regenerated person and how you are to live your life. You are to be holy in all manner of conduct, even as God is holy. He is holy, for he is holy. <clears throat> and so this is no small issue. This is what Christ saved us for. We're called to be saints. We're called to be saints. Saints means holy ones. And we, we are holy ones, so we are to become in practice what we are in position in Christ. Our position is holiness. Our practice is to be consistent holiness. We are to become what we are. Amen? Amen. We're to become what we are. Lloyd-Jones was the first one to tell me that. <laughs> I've loved it ever since. We are to become 
what we are. We are, beco- we are ever becoming what we are. We are righteous in Christ in the eyes of the Father, but we are becoming more and more like Christ as we go toward him. And so we are to be a holy people. And I'll ask you to bear with me because I printed my sermon on paper and I took it home and it changed. And so we're using this thing with our notes and I told some of the brethren back there if this thing dies you're just going to get Frank Maxson (laughs) praise the Lord for his goodness and so we are we are called unto holiness And, and so we're created in Christ Jesus unto holiness Paul calls it good works. We're to forget the things that are behind and to reach forth to what's ahead. Holiness. We're to put off the old man and to put on the new. Holiness. We are to yield our members as servants to righteousness unto holiness. Romans 6, 19. Well, holy living has its basis in our great salvation. In verse 13, Peter says, Wherefore, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, and so on, and the sentence unfolds in several verses. Peter's wherefore follows a great doxology of praise starting in verse 3 with an emphasis on our future hope based on Christ and his great salvation. Now, I hope that wasn't too much to say in one sentence. I think Peter does that. (laughs) Peter does that a lot. He uses these huge sentences, and it's like, how many thoughts can you compress in one sentence? Paul does it as well. But let me try that again. Peter's wherefore, in verse 13, he says, wherefore, follows a great doxology. Now, a doxology is a hymn of praise. And that hymn of praise begins in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues all the way down to the end of verse 12. And it is a doxology, a hymn of praise to God for what he's done. With an emphasis on our future hope, based on Christ, the person of Christ, and his great salvation, his tremendous work what he has done for us. Well, let's look briefly at that. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, abundant mercy, oh, God's mercy was so abundant toward me and toward you. God's mercy was expressed to us which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, or as we would say today, a living hope. It is a living hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Jesus rose again and he he brought us unto life. We were born again unto 
a living hope, a lively hope, not a dead hope, not a hope that, that we just, oh, I hope so. No, but a, a confident expectation that all of the glorious promises of his word are going to be fulfilled and we have a glorious future. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Peter wants us to know and he wants to remind us, he, he's reminding these, these Jews and Gentiles as well in, in, the, in the dispersion that, that God is so blessed because of what he's done. He has brought us from death unto life and given us a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And Jesus rose again, and I rise with him when I trust in him. And I did. And then he says in verse 4, to something. He has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. And so Peter's talking about our blessed hope. And when he says wherefore, He's reflecting back on that wonderful salvation that God gave us in Christ. And he's also reflecting back on the wonderful promise of an inheritance that comes through Christ. We have not experienced the fullness of that inheritance. And Peter wants us to know that this is an inheritance that will never corrupt. You can't corrupt it. You can't take this wonderful future inheritance and corrupt it. You can't defile it. You, you can't just spill paint on it or you can't def defile it in any way, shape, or form and that fadeth not away, it will not recede into the background. It's always there. You have a blessed hope that is rooted and grounded in the finished work of Christ, in his person and his finished work, Christ's person and finished work, and it's reserved <laughs> in heaven for you. And your blessed hope is, is all centered in the person who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father for you, making intercession for you. And, and so it's our hope that Peter focuses on. It's a lively hope in verse 3. Blessed be God for this lively hope and for this wonderful inheritance that you can't lose and who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so Peter is using the word salvation here as, as our ultimate salvation, as not, not salvation in the sense of we are already saved, which we are by God's grace, but salvation in the sense that we are going to be saved from the wrath to come. And when God pours out his wrath, wrath on this earth, we will be saved from that wrath. We will be protected by our glorious Savior because of his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross and because he rose again from the dead. But it's more than just a negative salvation. It's a salvation that, that includes that inheritance that is so glorious yet future. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, and we do. We're so glad that God has saved us by his grace. 
we greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And Christians are the only ones who can, who can both be rejoicing and heavy at the same time. Just like my mother, whom I call and I say, how are you doing? She used to say marvelous, but she doesn't say marvelous anymore. She will say, I'm fine, or oh, I'm okay. And I say, not marvelous? She'll say, no, not marvelous. It won't be a few minutes, but a few minutes later, she'll be saying, but Frank, it's marvelous in the Lord. It may not be marvelous to have your car taken away from you. It may not be marvelous to be put in somebody else's home and to sleep in their bed and eat their food and to bathe in their bathtub, although they've given her a new shower that's handicap-type uh, person shower, and, and <clears throat> everything is theirs, but she has the Lord. She says sweet things like, Frank, sometimes... I see him put his hand in mine. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? 94 years old. And looking to Christ. Where you greatly rejoice in this, in this glorious hope. Though now in heaviness because of temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's your blessed hope. Jesus is coming again. And your faith is being tried, but it's precious faith. And it is being tried because God is purifying it so that it will be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So whatever you're going through, your light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And God is, God is good in that. Whom having not seen, you love. Whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That is eschatological salvation again. That is future salvation. That you are going to receive the end of your faith. You are going to receive the salvation of your souls. When he comes again, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And that is the end of Peter's doxology, in which he holds our blessed hope before us. And, and that hope, he hasn't said a whole lot about it as far as the substance of it, <clears throat> but that hope is a glorious future hope. It includes seeing Christ in all of his glory and majesty, coming in clouds and glory. It includes a resurrection into perfect spiritual bodies. It includes a, a sinless future. 
where we will no more sin. It includes salvation from wrath. It includes no more crying or death or suffering as we go through in this world. It includes being with the saints of God forever and seeing those seraphim. It includes a new heaven and a new earth and so much more. And, and how could we begin to even describe these things? That is our inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And it's guaranteed. Peter's wherefore is now telling us how we need to respond to our glorious God who has done wondrous things for us. What shall we then do? <laughs> Peter, this is, this is great. This is wonderful. But how, what should we do? And so Peter gives us the wherefore. <clears throat> God has done all of this for you. Now what are you going to do in light of all of this? Wherefore? Wherefore is the word that makes that division. Well, let us now see what Peter exhorts us to do in the light of our glorious hope. <clears throat> Peter says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. This is one sentence, remember, and he's going to tell us to be holy in all of our conduct, and he begins with, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. <clears throat> and so I say, holy living involves preparing our minds. Sim more simply put, we could say, holy living involves our minds. <laughs> you are not going to live a holy life without the use of your mind. You, you are not going to become saved without thinking. You're not just automatically saved sometime, but you, you consider the cost and, and, and you think upon the gospel and you think upon the person of Christ and you think upon your sins and you confess them to God. And so the Christian life is a life of thinking. It's a life of using your mind and, and growing in your understanding of things. <clears throat> uh, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, means to, like the old athletes who had on their robes and they would gird their robes up so they could run, they were preparing, they were getting ready to run, or the workman who would gird up his, the skirts of his garment and, and wrap them around his waist, and then they could work. And so <clears throat> they were preparing, and Peter is saying, wherefore, prepare, prepare through thinking, prepare with your mind. <clears throat> well, God wants us to engage our minds in what way? God wants us to engage our minds in truth from his word. That's why we have preaching week by week. That's why we have family devotions. That's why we have our private devotions. That's why we have these Bibles that God gave us so that, <clears throat> um, as Peter says in chapter 2, um, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk or the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's another imperative. Desire it. Because you need to gird up the loins of your mind with it. Uh, David speaks of the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, he says in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. <clears throat> and so holy living involves preparing our minds with truth. Truth from God's word. 
Holy living also involves sober thinking. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, be sober. Now, be sober actually is tied together with, with girding up the loins of your mind. <clears throat> it's, it, has, it has an adverbial um, relationship with girding up the loins of your mind. And so we are to um, think soberly. Holy living involves sober thinking. Be sober is how we are to think. We are not to be intoxicated by sin and old temptations or the insane world around us. We can be intoxicated by what's happening around us. We can get in a frenzy. We can, we can become disturbed and distraught and distressed. May God give us grace that I'm not saying we shouldn't know what's going on around us. We don't put our heads in the sand. But may God give us grace to um, filter all that we read and all that we hear through his word. And may we have grace to remind ourselves of our blessed hope. And by the way, you can be intoxicated by the news. You can be intoxicated by the internet and movies. Even books and worldly entertainment. There is so much that can intoxicate Christians. But Peter says, be sober. In girding up the loins of your minds, be sober. But then he doesn't leave it there because it's, it's not um, independent of other things. But he's actually bringing in our hope again. He's still on hope, isn't he? Wherefore, think soberly and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Holy living involves perfecting and persevering in our hope as we think soberly about Christ and what he's done for us and as we think about his word and how he wants us to live. And so that is the beginning of holy living. He says, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have grace today. There is grace that is going to be brought to us when Jesus comes. Just the grace to see him, but all that that entails as well as we've spoken of. Well, holy living is very simple. Look at verse 14. Young people, think about this. So Peter says, <clears throat> think, be sober, and hope. Let's just say, uh, use your mind soberly to hope all the way to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you. But then in verse 14, he says, as obedient children. What is holiness? Holiness is obedience. It is so simple. Holy living is very simple. It is obedience to God in his word. <laughs> Peter says, as obedient children, or literally, <clears throat> as children of obedience, which is even a bit stronger than as obedient children. It is our identity as children of of obedience. We are not children of wrath. We are children of obedience. 
We all appreciate obedience in children. Amen? It's a learned behavior. I heard the moms on that one. It's a learned behavior. It takes discipline. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to be perfected. Don't give up. Amen? We want our children to obey, and this is what we have said in the past so many times, immediately, cheerfully, thoroughly, and with a good heart attitude. Have you ever said that to your children? I want you to obey me immediately, cheerfully, thoroughly, and with a good heart attitude, and let me say that that's what God wants out of us. Children of obedience. I love the way Abraham left Ur and Haran as soon as God called him to go out and spoke to him. I love how Abraham believed God so readily. I love how he obeyed so quickly when he was asked to offer up Isaac, his only son, the son whom he loved. An obedient person is a holy person. And Jesus shows us the ultimate example of obedience in his obedience to the Father because he always did all things that his Father asked him to do. And so, young people, obedience is holiness. You know, somehow we might get the idea in our mind that holiness is something scary and that holiness means that you wear black clothes. It's not why I wore black tonight. But, but, you know, somebody like a monk in a monastery that, that looks austere and, and, and just lives in seclusion all of the time. No, that's not holiness. But Peter is telling us, as obedient children, as obedient tr- children, be holy. Holy living is a whole new way of life. Holy living is a whole new way of life. You've been recently saved. God is calling you to live a new way of life. God is calling you not to live the way you used to live, but God is calling you to a life that is utterly different than the life you once lived. And so he says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. That was when you weren't thinking. That's when you weren't using your mind. That's when you were just doing what your flesh wanted to do. That's where your mind was in subjection and your will was in subjection to your flesh, your desires, your appetites, whatever you wanted to do. But now Peter says, not fashioning yourselves according to that. The word fashioning is the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. And so we are not to be fashioned after the world. We are not to be conformed to the world. That's outside of us. But now Peter is saying, not conforming yourselves or fashioning yourselves according to something that you were in your past. And so we are not to be conformed to our old self. We're to be conformed to Christ and his self and to become more and more like him. So holy living is a whole new way of life. 
we are to become nonconformists to ourselves in our old way of life. And this will not always be easy. In fact, it is, it is hard. You will have to kill your sins lest they kill you. You are to mortify, put to death your sinful lusts. You're to put to death your old sinful habits of life. And that is not easy. We are not to fashion ourselves according to our former lusts or in our ignorance, but we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's holiness. Holiness is putting away the old and putting on the new. And it's simple obedience. And walking in accordance with God's word. Well, holy living also has to do with all of our conduct. We might say that holy living is universal. It includes every aspect of life. Look at verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle or conduct. Be holy in all manner of conduct in everything you do. It's universal. I think this is so beautiful because God has captured us, has taken us to himself, and and he, he wants us to use our minds and he wants us to remember our hope and he wants us to nurture it to the end and grow around it and he wants us to live in simple obedience and and he wants us to not fashion ourselves according to what we were, but he wants that in every area of our lives. We have become his servants, his slaves, and it's a glorious slavery. He wants everything. He wants every moment. He wants your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. He wants your thoughts. He wants everything about you. He wants you to be holy in every relationship. And that's why throughout the book, he talks about servants with their masters. And he talks about wives with their husbands. And he talks about women and what they wear and what they dress like. And yes, the Lord is even concerned about what we wear and how we dress in the world. And and he, he goes on to the husbands and husbands are to love their wives, and to dwell with them with understanding, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And and he goes on to talk about relationship to government and honoring the king, and he talks about relationships in the church. This book, every chapter, every chapter of 1 Peter is full of imperatives that have to do with holy living in this world because God wants you to be holy in all manner of conversation in everything you do. Every true believer is a person who is surrendered to the supreme lordship of Christ over his life. And let me say, over every area of life. And if we're not, he takes it very seriously and he will deal with us because he loves us. He will chasten his people in love. You cannot keep one idol or one sin or one little weakness that God prohibits without his disapproval. You can't hang on to anything. 
You must lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets you. And Peter just unfolds that in such a wonderful way. I wish I could give you all the verses. I'd have to read the whole book. Holy living is not meritorious. It will not purchase you a place in heaven. You don't get to heaven by holy living. What I mean is, it doesn't merit heaven. But holy living is essential to a genuine profession of faith in Christ. If you profess faith in Christ, you must be holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Holy living is the loving response of those who know the love of Christ. The love of Christ is all in verses 3 through, is it 11? 12. Verses 3 through 12. Blessed be God the Father for all that he has done. And we love him for that. And we love him because he first loved us. That's one of those universal verses that encompasses the whole Christian life. We love him. That's everything that we do because he first loved us. That's all that he did. Holy living is for those who know Christ as Lord. And if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all in your life. He is Lord. The road to heaven is a straight and narrow road that God has called us to walk. You get on that road through the person and work of Christ. It's a narrow gate. You walk that narrow road by following in his steps. His steps are holy steps. They will take you where many will not go. When I was younger, I had a preacher stand up in front of me, and he said, God is this narrow, and he put his Bible in front of his face. Maybe you'll remember that when you're 65. God is this narrow. He wants us to live according to this book. He wants us to be holy according to everything he says in his word. (laughs) To the true believer, holiness of life is a wonderful calling. We're called to be like our holy God. We cannot be perfect, but we can be more and more like him day by day. Separated from the world, separated from the flesh, and separated from the devil, and separated unto him. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your holy word, how we pray that you would give young people a heart's desire to walk in holiness, that by your word and by your spirit, you would guide them to put off and to put on, to, 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 to not fashion themselves according to their former lusts, but as he who has called them is holy so that they would be holy in all manner of conduct. Let that be true, Father, of each older person here. And Lord, if we are to see the power of your spirit in our midst, we must be a holy people. Lord, make us what you would have us to be. Guide us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let us stand together. <coughs> and these words come from 1 Peter chapter 5. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you.
To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.